So this week, my pastor is gone, which is just a, an amazing act of trust on his part because as holy and amazing as I am, I'm also like just terribly incompetent. Like I double book myself, I messed up schedules, but anyway, he's gone for the week. And so the running joke among myself and the staff is that, oh, look, you know, you're in charge and you can make decisions and ah, sign a check for me and blah, blah, blah. And we all joke and it's fun. But uh, as we were talking, I was like, guys, I know this is funny, but I have no power in this parish. Like as a parochial vicar, I have no power, no say in anything. And they're like, no, you are a priest and you're, you're in charge of stuff when the pastor's gone. And I'm like, I don't think so. While this is all going on, there's this tech guy who is redoing our whole camera system. So we have a camera system to let people into the office and that kind of thing. And he's done fiddling with it. He says, hey, oh, by the way, if you wanna buy a new system, because you guys are kind of due for a new system, it's so many dollars. And I look to my staff and I say, do you trust me to make this decision? And they immediately said, no, we're gonna wait for the pastor, right? So there it is, <laughs> parochial vicar, no power. I can't change hymns, I can't change tech systems, I am just here to help people and that's all I can do, which is fine, which is fine by me. As, as someone who was, a pro, who was a parochial vicar for like three years and now is a pastor, enjoy it while you can. Mm-hmm, I do. <laughs> I was telling people all the time, I was like, I don't wanna be a pastor. I like the freedom of being an associate. Oh, you got a problem? Go talk to the go talk to the pastor. Oh, I love that line. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, that's a great line. Mm -hmm. Now, now it's like, oh wait, I have to take care of all the decisions. I have to know everything about the building. I have to sign the checks. I have to keep track of the budget, which are and people need to know that like, these are actually important administrative duties. Like, I I am a steward of the parish. Absolutely, so I have to make sure these things are are in place. Administration, as much as I hate it, is absolutely necessary for the life of the church, but. Enjoy being an associate while you can. I will. How long? How long are you guys usually associates in your diocese? It's been all goofy. Um, not to yeah. get into it, but like our diocese is undergoing this major, major um, reorganization thing. Um, so in the past ten years, it's been like you know, three, four years, five if you're lucky, because we need guys to be pastors. Now you yeah. could kind of go back to hopefully you know you'll be a parochial vicar for five, six years. I pray because um, yeah. for me, you're entering. Uh, seminary right out of high school like I don't know a lot of stuff like I just like I, I feel like I'm pretty good at being a priest but all that administrative stuff I'm still I'm still learning that so mm -hmm. so we'll see yeah it's it's I in our diocese it's two years me and I was at our cathedral for a couple two and a half years and both the rector and myself because it's only him and myself at the parish at the cathedral uh, he begged the bishop and I kind of I said I, I wasn't quite ready to go into uh, take a parish yet, so we asked for one more year, and it was kind of given to us, which was really nice. Well, it ended up only actually being an extra six months because uh, when they did, we are so short on priests in our diocese that we had to move a priest to a bigger church because we just needed a priest there because it's a bigger church, it's got a bigger school, etc. Um, which meant the parish I'm currently at, which is at Holy Family Notre Dame in Port Alberni. Uh, didn't have a priest for six months. Wow. And this is actually, uh, so guess who was the pastor for six months? Who? My bishop. Oh, really? Your bishop? Yeah. Yeah. He, it's two and a half hours away from Victoria, which is where all the diocesan offices are. And he moved up here. Wow. And he, he looked after the parish for six months. That's a really beautiful until, thing. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, my bishop is really good about that kind of stuff. He's spending his holidays in a little town that has an, a church with like five people who go to it on Sunday. 
<laughs> and no priest. Yeah. And he's spending his holidays there offering mass, going fishing, and also working a lot with the First Nations people there. So my bishop's really kind of, he doesn't like the office anyway. So, but, so, <laughs> uh, and people need to know, like when I, when I was at the cathedral, you learn how to be a pastor in a way, because our rector of our cathedral was also, is also our vicar general. Mm-hmm. And he's our judicial vicar. Wow. So he has a lot of hats. A lot of hats. Wear. And those are like big hats too. And those are big hats. In most dioceses, those are full-time positions. Yes. He's doing three full-time jobs just himself. And he's really awesome. But yeah, I. It, it's only about two, two, two to three years for us, really. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, back in the day, it used to be like you were an associate for like 15, 20 years before you were named At pastor. least, yeah. yeah At same least. Here. And, but that was great because then you learned how a parish runs. Right. And then by the time you're made pastor, you know everything. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> now it's like, now you kind of go in with eyes wide open, like you're being surrounded by sharks and fearing for your life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I have found that the people of God, as if they know that you love them, they're pretty mm-hmm. merciful to you. Like most of them, mm-hmm. like they get it and they're, and they're mm-hmm. good to you, which is, um, which is good because yeah. we need it. And I think like here too, I think they're kind of, they've been slowly learning. Like I'm new at this, the whole pastor gig. So have some patience with me. I'm going to make massive mistakes, especially with paperwork. Uh, I won't get into that right now, but uh, Father Anthony knows what I'm talking about. Yes. Uh, I'm going to make mistakes with paperwork. I'm going to forget different things. Or I'm just not going to know the answer right away because I actually don't know. Yeah. I don't know where that thing, where the lock, where the key is for that door because no one's actually told me yet. Right. Stuff like that. So it's like... Like people, they kind of expect you to pass. You should know everything about here. I'm like, I actually don't yet. It's going to take me a couple of years to actually just learn that. Mm-hmm. So kind of speaking of that. So uh, last week I was in Edmonton. Um, that's where I went to seminary at St. Joseph Seminary in Edmonton, which was just an amazing seminary. I, It's funny. You know, you know what it's like when you're in seminary, you always complain about everything formation. You complain about everything. Yeah. You complain about rules. You complain about how long papers are and everything. You complain about all this stuff. But you look back and you realize, do you know what? It was a really good time. And yeah. It was a good seminary. Good. And I really feel like that about my seminary. But we, every two years, I mentioned this in the last podcast, every two years, we the Western bishops of Canada gather as many of the guys who've been ordained under six years together at St. Joseph Seminary for five days of learning together, praying together, and just hanging out. Because St. Joseph's is a regional seminary, so guys are from all over Western Canada. And so we don't get a chance to see each other too often now anymore, even though we spent years together. And it was an awesome, awesome time. Uh, it was my second time going, and it was so good to see all my brothers and to hang out. Uh, one night we went golfing. One night we went to a, a, a restaurant that has about 80 different beers on tap. Nice. Uh, which was very nice. Um, <laughs> some nights we're just hanging around. Like people, the one thing is, like, it wasn't very restful because I came back so tired because you're out late every night. Right. Because you haven't seen each other for two years, some guys. Yeah. So you just want to hang out. And it was a really good time. So we had, as our speaker this year, a man by the name of Mike Landry. And if you don't follow him on Twitter, you should. I'll tag him in the in the tweets. Uh, he gave us five days of talks on youth ministry. Oh, yeah. You were tweeting a lot about him. He was amazing. Yeah, yeah I, I sent out a bunch of tweets about him. They might be deleted by the time uh, this comes out because my, my tweets automatically delete after two weeks. But um, 
he he was fantastic. You know, I don't know what your experience is like, but a lot of people who talk to me about youth ministry don't actually do youth ministry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're on the speaking circuit or whatever. Yeah. And they're not actually feet on the ground. That's not Mike's case. Yeah. He was doing youth ministry for a while in parishes. And then he got a job with some of the Catholic schools to be a chaplain to a lot of the high schools. Mm -hmm. And his stuff was balanced. He gave us good, clear ideas of what we should do. And Because I, I, before I went to this conference, I was actually thinking of not doing youth ministry at all this year. Because I don't have a youth ministry. It's all on my shoulders right now. And I came out of that. I said, I have to do this this year. I have to do youth ministry. You're going to start up 100%. a program. Well, I'm going to, we have a group. Okay. It's just, it's been a little shaky getting it going yeah. since I've moved here in January, but we're going to get it done for sure. And he it really inspired me. And it was just good just to hang out with the brothers, um, be back in Edmonton for a little bit and be back at the seminary and just priestly fraternity is so important. Yeah, absolutely. It's huge. And especially when you're a pastor in West, like in Western Canada, it's huge geographically. So we're not like I'm an hour away from the nearest parish. Yeah. So we're not going to get a chance to hang out all the time. And so just having those five days together, we prayed together. We had mass every day. We had holy hours. We pray praying the liturgy, the hours together was so nice because I missed that a bit. <laughs> was it better than just kind of praying through it quickly in your mind as you yeah. get ready for the next meeting? Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, it was, and hearing guys sing together, yeah, and just eating meals together and having a drink together, all in good fun, and it was amazing. And it just it reminds me just how important priestly fraternity is and how we need to do stuff to to build it up. Like, I, I mean, that's why I'm grateful. At least for our, we have a we have a small group of priests on Twitter. We we talk to each other all the mm -hmm. time, and I'm really grateful for that. Absolutely, we, I look forward to talking with all all the guys every day. Yeah. Yeah, it's really important that um, like we support each other in this, and mm -hmm. particularly uh, now that the church is, mm -hmm. has really just been rocked with uh, these scandals, um, abuse scandals, mm -hmm. with um, these allegations, uh, very credible allegations against uh, McCarrick. Um, now that the Pennsylvania grand jury report has come out um, with very horrific, you know, detailed descriptions of what's going on, so that's what we're going to kind of address. Uh, in the podcast today, because uh, it's important to address, it's important to talk about. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, when the McCarrick thing first broke, I was I, I was just about to go on retreat, I think, or I was, I was on retreat, and it was um, kind of right before it. Um, and I was the response on Twitter when the McCarrick thing first broke, I was very um, encouraged by by some people. Um, so I've, I found these like four tweets; they all popped up in my timeline. One was from uh, Jake at Dadanista, and he just says, it's time to be saints, uh, in my opinion. And then Father Tim Grubeck, uh, a friend of ours, said, we must be saints. Why consider any other option? And then uh, Trad Queen at Going Blonzo said, you know what we need? That's, that's caps for you. We need more rosaries and explicit dedication to the Virgin Mary. And then uh, Chris at CMC Cafe uh, I don't know about you guys, but the recent revelations have been a real call to holiness for me. Fellas, we gotta be saints, seriously. And I was super encouraged by those tweets. And I felt the same sort of way when you're confronted with this terrible evil in the church, this desire to look at yourself and realize that, no, I haven't done those things. I haven't committed those sins, but my sins they are different in magnitude, not really in kind, because really all sins are very similar. 
I mean, that's, that's the nature of sin. It is not creative. It is not original. And realizing that the only thing that ever really changes the church is holiness. And so that's my job here and now. I was encouraged by that. Yeah, I was too. And I, it was kind of the same gut check to me. I'm like, man, I need to be a saint. Yeah. <laughs> I, need to, I need to really work at the sins that kind of take root in my life. Like, I, I, I mean, I'm kind of public about this on Twitter too. Like, one of my biggest sins is acedia. It is so rampant in my life, this inability to desire the good sometimes. Yeah. And I'm like, if I let that gain reign over me with, and I don't let God's grace come into that, you know, I, the thought, when you see stuff like this, if you're if you're honest enough with yourself, you can always say, "I no one is far away from doing horrible things." Yeah. Thanks, but to the grace of God and the grace of God at work in me, mm-hmm. um, I don't want that to happen. But the only way to ensure that I never become a great sinner too is to rededicate myself to holiness, to pray more, to spend more time in adoration, to to um, spending more time. Um, to, to check myself when I'm getting selfish or lazy with my schedule and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and to, re, and to go seek the people, et cetera. I, I felt the same kind of clarion call. Yeah. We got to be saints. Yeah. And, and part of what you said, uh, I think brings up one of, I guess many preambles or caveats to us discussing all of this, mm-hmm. because right now it is all so raw and so intense. We are, all feeling it in our guts, in our hearts. It is a difficult thing to talk about. I, I've been telling uh, you know friends, family members, like my emotions change drastically every three hours, really, since all this stuff mm-hmm. broke, especially the um, grand jury report. Yeah. Um, and so what we want to do in talking about it is is to try to bring some clarity, some something, uh, not to be utterly washed away in our emotions, which are strong. And to describe like how we've experienced this, uh, what we hope for in the future. Um, that being said, like it's a very sensitive issue, um, and we're gonna do our our best with it to be honest and transparent with how we feel about it. Uh, but there may be things that we say that are gonna anchor people because we're all like we all have hair triggers right now on our emotions, and that's understandable and that's going to happen. Um, so this is all to say apologies in advance if anything like really bothers you. Um, and if it's something you need to talk to us about it, you know, we're on the internet, we're on Twitter, we'll try to, if you uh, really want to speak with us um, genuinely and not just, you know, troll us or um, yell. So we're gonna do our best guys, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's, it's um, I think it's important to say too that we as priests are feeling this pretty deeply. I mean, it's I, I, for probably both Father Anthony and myself, um, when the Boston stuff came out in 2002, you would have been like 13. Yeah. Ish. Right? Yeah. Uh, ish. <laughs> I wasn't a practicing Catholic back then. And I would have been 18, I think. Nin- no, wait, I would have been 20. Yeah. Or 19, 19. That's mm-hmm. it. I would have been 19. I wasn't a practicing Catholic yet for a couple more years. And so and then, you know, these things, they just didn't hit us. Yeah. Now we are priests and this stuff is coming out and it can, it, it gets, it's not, it's not a crisis of faith or anything. It's just, why would someone abuse this position? Why would someone enter the priesthood to do this? Like, I think if anything, we're just as confused as everyone else. Yeah. We don't get it. 
and you read the reports, you read the different stories, and you're just thinking, how did this? How is this allowed to go on for so long? And how do these guys get into the priesthood? Why did they come to the priesthood? These are questions that weigh on our hearts too, and we don't have answers to that. Yeah. And I don't think we're going to have the full story for another hundred years. Yeah. So you want to just kind of jump into it then? Yeah, let's just jump into it. Okay, so I'm going to kind of give, uh, I don't know, a little bit of a monologue here because you know this uh, grand jury thing affects uh, my diocese in a, in a specific way in Pennsylvania. Um, so we knew that this was coming for a while. Like we knew that there was the grand jury thing that a report was going to come. Um, they subpoenaed us for all of our records, you know, and I was aware that even in my parish we had records of uh, you know accusations, and you can see those in the report. Things that happened in, in Butler, PA. So. The pastor told me, hey, I'm sending in these documents just so you're not caught off guard. And, you know, we had various meetings on it, and they kept telling us, like, it's going to be bad. It's going to be really bad. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. But I didn't really realize how um, painful and awful it really was it was going to be. Because like you had mentioned, you know, when the Boston stuff came out, I was young. You weren't, you know, terribly, you know, practicing. So... You know, when we were discerning the priesthood, when I was discerning priesthood, I knew that this was a thing. Like, I knew people might look at me differently because I wanted to be a priest. Um, and, and no one's ever called me a pedophile. No one's ever accused me of that sort of thing in real life on the internet. Sure, whatever, but that doesn't, you know, count. Um, I think people were worried about me. Like, why would you want to join an institution that this is, you know, that is this evil, that, you know, covers these things up, that allows this to happen? And I'm like, no, no, no I, I'm going here because I want to bring people to Jesus, because that was my experience with the priesthood. Um, mm-hmm. Good and holy priests that forgave my sins, that brought me the Eucharist, that um, it was the church that saved me. And if God was calling me to this thing, then I wanted to say yes. And as I moved through seminary, that changed into, I want to be a good priest for people, because people deserve good priests. They work so hard, they sacrifice so much, they're going through all these silent and quiet struggles in their family life and whatever else. They deserve good priests. And Lord, if you want to make me a good priest, I want to say yes. I wanted more than anything else when they say, like, what do you want to be? What do you want to do as a priest? Like, yeah, I'm excited about preaching and all this other stuff. But what I want to be is a father. That's why I want to do this. I want to be a father to people. And to see that trust and that relationship be so broken by these men in the past is utterly devastating. So anyway, the day comes, I had just gotten done meeting with a, with a family, talking about a funeral that's coming up, and um, was aware that it was coming out. The report came out, I started reading it, and I read as much as I could before I, I got physically sick. I think a, a lot of us who have read this, um, that's you get physically ill reading these things. And the wind was utterly just knocked out of me, spiritually, physically. And this overwhelming feeling of how terrible this is for those victims and for those, those, those people who, who endured this. And how can I be a priest in this? Like, am I holy enough? Am I good enough? How can I help anything? How can I do anything with this kind of overwhelming evil it, it is there? But the thing was, in another couple hours, I had um, mass because it was the feast day of the Assumption. Um, it was the vigil mass, and so I uh, um, went through the vigil mass. I didn't speak about it then because this was just a few hours after the announcement broke, so I wasn't ready to speak with it. I couldn't have if I, if I tried. Um, and then 
The next day, same sort of thing. And I had discussed this um, with the other priests in my rectory. I live with um, three other priests right now. Um, two of them were there and we were, we were just talking about all this and what it meant to us and everything. And the next day um, for the 7 p.m. Assumption Mass, I knew I had to speak with it somehow. And luckily the Lord gave me enough words to, to say something without making the feast day all about this abuse scandal and letting it still be about like the glories of Mary and our hope and our salvation, but to mention that. So I, I was happy for that. Um, but uh, and so many people have been DMing me and maybe you've gotten this as well about like, what do we do? Like, what do we say? Like, is there something we can do? And I tweeted this thing out and it's absolutely true. Like, I don't know, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, this isn't me just throwing my hands up in the air saying, don't do anything. But I really believe so much of our reaction has come out of our guts and not out of prayer. And I'm not trying to overly spiritualize this thing either. I'm not saying just, just go pray about it. No, no, this is incredibly, incredibly important. The only person who has answers or guidance for us in this time of terrible evil is Jesus Christ. And if we're not going to him, if our actions, if our motivations, if our letters, if our picketing, whatever we're going to do does not come from prayer and from an encounter with him, then it's not going to be helpful. It's just going to be more and more damaging. So that was kind of my, you know, uh, experience of it in the last few days. Yeah, it's, you know, when I, I haven't, I, I mean, I've only read a brief summaries of the report and that was enough to tell me I, I don't need to read anything more because... Yeah. Not, it was disgusting enough, mm -hmm. and it was. Um, I, I didn't cry, but I wanted to. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? right, yeah. I could. I wanted like it was just like why, why? I just it, it really. It, I think that's. I'm just dumbfounded by by how this had how this happened. Mm -hmm. Like I'm still dumbfounded by the fact how did like why did all these guys. Why does it happen all at once in all these dioceses all across the world? I just, I can't wrap my head around this. And I don't know why. I probably never will until eternity, yeah. God willing. And I, I, it's just, it's that, that's the question that keeps on haunting me. Why, why, why? And I, I mean, I, I, you know, it's interesting because here in Canada, it's a little different. Yeah. We are it's nothing big's coming up. I don't know of anything. And I know one of the neat things about being in Western Canada, we're smaller. Like when I, like I talked about this priest course, two bishops stayed with us for the entire week. Wow. <laughs> Where do you hear of this? Right. Yeah. And, and it, actually it's still a side note. It was really interesting. They actually shared with us their stories of when they were called to be bishops. Oh, that's neat. You don't hear that very and often. It was, but it was really beautiful because you heard in both of them not a single desire to be a bishop. <laughs> and good. that was so important. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. No, it was good. Well, it told me these are men who actually care about the church and leading her, right? So, um, but we're just not here. And, and even here, you know, in one sense, maybe it's because I'm on Twitter more, so I see this stuff a bit more. And I'm, and you guys are in the states, so it's it's weighing on you a lot more than it does for me. But you know, I was talking to some guys when I was out there, and they're like, "Why are you so? Why is this so important to you?" I'm like, "Because it's everywhere right now, and I feel like we need to address it." Mm -hmm. Like I addressed it, I addressed it a few weeks ago when we had the "Woe to the Shepherds" reading. Yes, 
around Archbishop McCarrick. And um, people, I think, my parishioners, actually, it was a really beautiful moment. My parishioners were super sympathetic. They said, we know you're a good priest, etc. And I, I'm always like, one of the things I'm amazed at all this is how the faithful remain faithful. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just like, wow. So, but it's not as pressing up here in Canada as I think it is in the States. And I worry about that a little bit because I'm thinking whether, I don't know, I, I I was thinking, should I preach about it again this weekend? I decided not to, partially because I talked to some parishioners about that. They said, no, we know where you stand. You don't need to say it again. I mentioned it in the bulletin, though, just to say, this is what we need. To, we need to be saints again. Yes. It's, but on that, when it kind of hit, it was the feast day of St. Maximilian Colby. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we had the evening mass that night. Technically, I should have done the vigil mass for Our Lady, but our weekday mass is at seven on Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. So I just did St. Maximilian. <clears throat> and I just kind of used that as a springboard. I didn't quite address it directly, but I said, you know, regardless of what's going on in the church right now, it's the saint who shows us the way forward. Yes. It's the saint who says, who doesn't lose hope in all of this, who doesn't allow it to overwhelm them. And even on the feast day of Our Lady's Assumption, I talked, Mary is the, in the Second Vatican Council, they talk about how Mary is the um, archetype of the church, that we see in the person of Mary what the church is called to be. And I'm like, and what does what does it happen? What's the Magnificat, right? God's going to cast down the mighty. He's going to lift up the lowly. And to trust those words and to put our mission and our hope in the heart of Mary who, and ask her for her heart so that we, because all of us, priests and lady, are the church, the, the body of Christ. Yeah. It's our duty then to do what we can to make the the body, with God's grace, more in 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 line with the image of Christ's body. And so I, I kind of addressed it in those. I mean, it's not a holy day of obligation up here in Canada, unfortunately, and the assumption. But mm-hmm. uh, um, I, I just felt the need to t- kind of gently address it. Yeah. And I, I don't want to, I guess you don't want to seem obsessive about it either. And I want to, and because uh, I brought this up at the young priest course, actually, and one of the bishops answered, I, I think he felt maybe I was obsessing about it a bit much. I don't know. I, I don't feel like I am. It's just, I don't know, yeah. my universe for news in the church is Twitter. So that's, it's it's everywhere right now. You know this, right? Right. Um, but he brought up a good story. I, it's not to say that we shouldn't, Asked for justice or anything, but he's, he shared this story and I shared it on Twitter. When St. Philip Neri went, wanted to become a priest, he went to Rome and he couldn't enter the gates of the city yet because there's a large procession going into the city. And it was the Pope's grandson who was going into the city to be married. The Pope's grandson. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> Saint there's a problem Phil- with that, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, exa- exactly. And St. Philip Neri, once it ended, went into the city start his seminary training to become a priest and he's now called the apostle of rome one man changed a lot in the church saint catherine of siena changed a lot in the church and i i think there needs to be justice i think but we need to be careful about being a, a a mob that wants a quick solution instead of a systemic solution yeah the quick solution will make heads roll but it won't It'll be a band-aid solution. Like someone has been, I, I've been DMing with one person and they've been really, who's a canon lawyer and they've been really clear, we need canonical investigations because they will show us everything. Yeah. It's not as quick, but to be okay with that. Yeah. 
Yeah, so full disclosure for this. So we're recording this um, a week before it comes out. So by the time this comes out, in all likelihood- Two weeks before it comes two weeks out. Before, yeah, two, sorry, two weeks before yeah. it comes out. So in all likelihood, we know a lot more uh, now. Um, there's probably a lot more statements, a lot more that's coming out. So keep this in mind, we're recording this like right after this breaks. Um, so that's what's kind of going on with this. Uh, so, but yeah, you mentioned something that I think is incredibly important and something that I, I've been thinking about a lot is we're both on Twitter a lot. Um, sometimes I'll admit I'm on Twitter too much, uh, but mm -hmm. Twitter and I think all social media, we have to watch out because it comes this like, and the phrase is maybe overused, but I think it's a good one, an echo chamber. And mm -hmm. I've seen this almost like who can be more angry than the next person. And I, I'm not blaming anyone for this because we are all angry about this. And with good reason. And yes, there is such a thing as righteous anger. Absolutely. And if you don't feel any anger, there's something wrong with you uh, emotionally. Something isn't integrated there, right? Absolutely. Uh, but it's almost who can have the most angry response who can come up right. with the most radical solution uh we want this done now and like i said of course we want something done now but if you give into that it becomes this you know i have to say it becomes self-indulgent it becomes almost this um liquor that we drink that that mm -hmm. uh makes us drunk with this anger this is this is when anger becomes a sin and when in no way it is righteous and i worry about people um, who just constantly keep reading articles and keep getting angrier. I'm not saying mm -hmm. put your head in the sand, but like how much of this is helpful? So that's, that's one thing. And then the second thing is Twitter is not the real world. Like, yes, there are real souls. Yes, it's a good place to get news in many situations. But for me specifically, I have, I work at, um, assigned to three parishes an hour north of the city of Pittsburgh in this little city of Butler. Um, there's this little local newspaper. That's what most people read. I'm still trying to figure out how many people know what's going on and how do I minister to them? Because they are mm -hmm. not Twitter. Um, there's a few people who have found out about my Twitter account, uh, but most people aren't on social media in that way. So how do I minister to them? How do I figure out what they need? Mm -hmm. And how do I not get caught up in this wave of social media stuff? So. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, um, you're you're bang on about i mean i saw it yesterday i i tweeted something where i yeah i was i'm angry about the constant pr moves right yes. to make people look better and i think that's not okay anymore that we need um we need more than that and um but i was shocked then people are saying well you didn't say this though and therefore you're part of the problem too and i'm just like it's a tweet yeah a tweet is say. not a book. I can't cover everything. Like people are saying, why are you calling it sin? It's evil. I'm like, well, because sin by definition is evil. Like, <laughs> yeah. or like, like, or they want me to reduce my language to be civil, legalistic terms. Like, this is illegal. We need criminal, and I'm I'm not denying that at all. But I'm a priest, and the more fundamental problem, the greater evil, is sin. Yeah, right. And we need to call account to that. So I was like, I had to, I think we've all been using the block button a little bit more freely the, this last week than normal. Yeah. But for our own piece too, listen, you want to reach out to people, but A, I mean, we've said this already too many times, Twitter is not our primary ministry. 
we do this for fun when we have free time. Yeah. And um, B, we need, we need, we need to, we want to communicate things, but if you're not going to actually want to enter a dialogue, you just want to yell at us, then it's just not going to do us any good. And I think, you know what, yes, uh, you know, this week we're not doing our, our kind of tweet section because we wanted to kind of incorporate it into the conversation a bit more. Yeah. And, and Steve, the missionary who had a really good YouTube video yesterday about this too, where again, you saw that raw emotion. And I, I, I saw, I was like, I just want to see that a little bit more from some people in the church, I guess. Yeah. To, uh, to I, I would like to see that. And I did see that from some bishops too. I saw that raw emotion. I was like, thank you. I just need to see some feeling, right? But he said, day two of being super mad about all this, how do I make sure I'm not letting the evil spirit take this in a bad direction? And he asked um, some uh, Jesuits for some help. And it was really good. Like, but first, that's the first thing. He had the humility to recognize, yeah, I'm angry, but I don't want to go to hell. Yeah, right. And that's not an easy thing to do sometimes in these situations. And he wants to be a faithful Catholic still. So, and then, um, so uh, Brandon, Father Brandon Busey, uh, SJ, um, he he replied to him today, especially Mary's Magnificat isn't a bad guide. Begin and maintain a focus on God's goodness. My soul proclaims the goodness of the Lord. And then let her rip on all the non-goodness out there that needs God's mercy and kindness. Cast down the mighty, lift up the lowly. Anger, driven by the good spirit, will have sorrow in there somewhere. And for example, darn, this is ugly, painful, sickening, etc. Anger, driven by the evil spirit, will tend to distance me from the suffering and pretend I'm somehow better than, mm. i.e. the evil, evil begins and ends and self-centered pride. That's just basic Jesuit discernment of spirits, yeah. but it was so bang on. It's okay to have outrage. It's okay to be angry. Just don't let it turn into, I am better than the bishops or I am better than the priests. I am better than the hierarchy in general. And, and I'm not saying that in a clerical, like in a clericalist way, right? right? I'm just saying like, we're all human beings. Our fundamental dignity is that we're all equal. So I, I thought, wow, that's a good response. And I think it's a good thing to keep in check. And I think Steve's tweet really kind of called a sense of, of, of reasonableness to the situation. Be angry, but be angry about the right things. Yeah. And I think, you know, what you're touching on, what, what that priest was touching on and what kind of we're talking about, when we see this situation, I think our first instinct as priests, and not saying that we're like the holiest people or whatever, but our first instinct as priests is like, okay, how do we help souls right now? And that's why we're kind of worried about this um, unreflective anger. Like, but we want to help right. you now. Like, how do we do that? Like, we yeah. don't have answers for the big reasons, but we can we can help you right now with whatever's going on. And that's mm -hmm. and that's really mostly what we do as priests, right? People come into us with like problems uh, in the family life, in their moral life, in their spiritual life. How often do you have like an answer for them? Like most of the time, I don't. But we work with them and help them to experience God in these conversations we have with them and direct them kind right. of in the right direction. And that's the most we can hope to do, right? right. Yeah, and I and I agree. And, I, and it's about you know being a priest is for most of us. I think, and it's a little frustrating. We actually can't do much about it. Yeah, and that's tough for people to hear. Uh, it is. It is. But I am a pastor of a parish with three hundred fifty people who come to mass on the weekend. It ain't big. Um, I can, but I can. 
affect their lives. Yes. I can be a holy pastor to them. I can be immersed in their lives. I can be, um, you know, but I can't, I can't, I, cause it's literally not in my power or in my position to make systemic changes. Yeah. But in the order of grace, I can do great things locally. And we know this from the history of the church, that the lives of the saints show us that the, the smallest of, of saints can do the greatest of good for the church. Yes. Look at St. Therese of Lisieux. A, a Carmelite nun who never leaves the walls is one of the greatest saints of the 20th century. St. Jean Vianney, a town of 200 people, becomes the patron of all priests. St. Maximilian Kolbe dies in a gas chamber with ten other, with nine other men um, from starvation and becomes a great martyr of love. We can affect great change, but it's always done in a particular and in a local way, mm-hmm. not in a systemic or organizational way. And that it ha- grace has its ripple effects to those things eventually so that the people who can affect the other changes can. I mean, like this is where bishops have a accountability to the Pope, right? We saw this with Chile. Mm-hmm. What did the, and, it, and it was a really beautiful thing. And I think it was the right thing that Chilean bishops did. They all handed into resignation. Yeah. And the Pope accepted some. The Pope intervened. And so there is a hierarchy to the church for this reason. And we also need to trust a little bit. I know it's hard. People want instant action. Trust that the church is going to do the right thing in the end. Yeah. Maybe not some of the bishops. Okay, I get that. I get where people are coming from that. But trust overall that, you know, Christ isn't going to leave his church. And he's going to raise up the right people to do the right thing in the right moment with this to cha- bring a change so that this doesn't happen again. And also people need to know things are not like they were in the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s, even with seminary formation. Amen. Things yeah. are much better now. Okay, yes, there is that story from from Boston that Cardinal O'Malley's investigating and good on him. I, I think for uh, not going to Ireland so that he can be present for that. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, like if something weird shows up on a psych evaluation or anything like that, you're not getting through seminary anymore. Yeah, like they, it's a rigor. It's rigorous it to get through seminary, and I'm grateful for the formation we receive. And I'm like, and it's weird for me too because I'm like, I'm hearing about the stuff, and I'm like. I didn't experience anything like this in seminary. Yeah. Yeah. I had a really good experience. And I'm like, things aren't great. I get that. But I think there's a hope that in 20 years down the line, the church is going to look a lot different. And I think a lot holier than it does now. Yeah. 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 You, you touched on a, a lot of different things. Sorry. And it was good. No, no, no. no. It, was, it was great. Um, and uh, it just brings up a few things. Um, if we think that being holy isn't going to change anything, then we've lost a part of the faith. If we think that like what we're saying is like, pray, be holy, be the saint you need. If that, if you're saying that that's not enough, then you really don't know what the church is and you really don't know the power of the church. And I, that's strong language, but it's important that we say it and that we know it. God is the one that changes these things and he changes it through holiness. And if that is lost on you, then you need to go to prayer and get off social media. Like this is, uh, this is you know, me being father dad right now, but it's absolutely true. Like as soon as we think that holiness doesn't matter, 
then we've lost so much of the faith. Uh, so when we're calling for these things, we're not saying that no action accompanies that, but it's the right order of things, okay? Mm-hmm. And then um, what you said about seminary is so true. I remember um, taking first entering seminary, taking the psyche vow, and man, I thought I was normal when I started taking the, by the time you answered like the literally thousand or so questions, and then you have your interview, like you feel like you've gone crazy because it's so much. And then four years later for me, I did it again, right? And all the men that I knew in seminary, they were trying to be good and holy priests and they were being honest with their formators and being as transparent as they could. Yeah, there are some bad eggs in there, but that's not what I experienced. Not to say that, mm-hmm. that, that it hasn't happened, I'm in no way um, right. diminishing or saying other people's stories aren't true, okay? Not saying that at all, but that um, there are a lot of good priests out there and I think people know that. Uh, and there was something- I, I think okay. so. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to speak about, um, I was going to speak about my, my, my bishop because he's very involved in this. And if you were keeping up with the news, he, he let the statement out. And I'm going to preface all this by saying, I don't need to say anything. Like, I don't have to bring him up. I don't have to talk about him. I am not interested in my career. This is just some stories I want to tell because I was totally on board with the idea of let's call for all these bishops resigning, right? I'm like, I, I see that. And, I, and part of me agrees with that. But then they started calling for my bishop's resignation. And I just want to share a couple stories. And this is not to say, well, I'm just going to do it, okay? Mm-hmm. When Bishop Zubik moved to our diocese, and he is a Pittsburgh native, the first thing he did was he sold our bishop's mansion and he moved into the seminary. And he lived in a building on campus. And so he was very present to us. And the one thing I remember from that was that every single night, no matter if it was like 10 or 11 o'clock, because he, he is a bit of a workaholic. Uh, he was always in our chapel praying. Always, always, always. Sometimes he would fall asleep in the chapel and wake up and throw his breviary and papers and letters all over the chapel, right? But he was always <laughs> there. And that's to say that like, while I don't always agree with everything he says or does, like I know he's an authentic and real person. A lot of people watched him on that conference and they, thought to themselves, he's still trying to cover stuff up. No, 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 you're, you're not really looking. I saw a man who had lost significant weight over this, like literally, physically, has, has shrunk under the weight of this, who was trying to make himself available to the people, who was answering questions. And if that's the kind of bishop you think needs to resign, then uh, part of me feels like we're off. And like I said, we yeah. may learn more stuff, but that's just my experience with my bishop. That's not something I yeah. have to say, it's something I wanna say. Um, yeah. And I want to share yeah, a couple of things first, like, and it's important to bring it back to the seminary discussion. People need to recognize like, you know, seminaries can't, it's not a foolproof system about who gets in. Yeah. It can't be. However, they're pretty well set up to notice that if, if things are, are weird, they're going to kick a guy out. Yeah. And I've seen guys get kicked out and rightfully so. And that's what it's supposed to do. That's exactly what it's supposed to do. So we have to be careful to uh, like we want to do everything we can to ensure nothing weird ever happens in the seminary but it's there is we cannot we cannot read people's minds mm-hmm. and we cannot they can say all the right answers and fool a psych test right but eventually something's going to show and something's going to crack so it's always important to know that secondly you know just as that similar idea is i shared a little bit already earlier on about my bishop and i think it's important to know like i, I actually one of the people's whose articles who i really liked in all of this was the Anchorage's 
article on bishops being pastors. And I think that's a good thing. Um, and I think, I think a lot of, actually, I think a lot of reasons, a lot of guys don't want to be bishops. It's not the leadership or anything like that. It's, they don't want to sit in an office all day Yeah, because we don't get, we're not ordained to sit in an office. Like 99% of priests, we just want to be pastors. We just want to be with people. Yeah. Like, that's why we signed up. Exactly. For exactly. So she shared that and I kind of tweeted out, I, this is where I found it a little odd too. A tweet that I sent out that expressed some anger and everything that's happening about the PR statements and everything got a lot of likes and a lot of retweets. Yeah. The thing I sent out about my bishop got almost no notification, whatever. And I think that to me is a little telling about the poisonous atmosphere that social media can be sometimes because I'm thinking, no, this is a good thing. This is the light and we need to hear that. So my bishop was the bishop of Whitehorse for many years. And Whitehorse, for those who don't know, is essentially the entire state of the or the entire province or territory of the Yukon. And um, then it's also a lot of northern BC. So I he was and he would drive all over the place to ensure that people had mass. And he wanted people to come up so that they could be missionaries. so They could at least have some sort of presence. And we know lots of lay missionaries who are up there. People who, who brought their families to just be up there to be a presence. And it's really amazing. And I shared earlier about how he was pastor in my parish for six months. How he's spending time in a small parish in the middle of nowhere to be the, just to, because for his holidays. Um, he is a Pat, he is a bishop who drives all over Vancouver Island to be present to everyone. And he knows people in every parish. He knows people everywhere. And, I, and he's a bishop who really has that pastoral zeal, that pastoral sense. And he wants to be out there. And I think this is what a good bishop is. Or those two bishops that stayed with us for those five days at the Young Priest Course. Yeah. For a lot of people, they would think, wait, bishops do that? Well, you know, I, I put this out of a tweet and I, a few weeks ago with the McCarrick stuff. I said, listen, things ain't all bad. There are my experience of all the bishops of Western Canada is I don't see an ounce of careerism in them. Yeah. And I'm very grateful for that. I see men who have a pastor's heart. And I think a lot of people experiences is this is the way it is for a lot of bishops. Yes, I think we've allowed a bit too much of the world business model to take over diocesan structures. And I think that's a question that needs to be addressed eventually. So some of these guys, not because they're evil or anything, that's just they're doing that because that's what a bishop does. And that's all they know what to do. And I think some bishops are actually going to learn through this and and learn how to reach out beyond just a PR statement. Yeah. And But we also have to remember... Some people, they're just doing this because that's all they actually know how to do. And we also, we, we want, we want to be critical. Yeah. We want to call for more, but we, like, I'll give you an example. Actually, uh, I think a lot of people sometimes were disappointed with Cardinal Denario's, Denaro's, Denaro's, Denardo, thank you. I know this quick aside, right? Because he baptized me actually. He was my pastor when I was, when I was a wee, wee boy, he baptized me. So anyway, good. I know how to pronounce his name. So thank you, Donardo. Uh, he he sent out a tweet that was kind of like the PR statement thing. He's president of the USCC, right? But today he sent out another statement, and I said, okay, he's learning. He's he's getting it. Yeah, he's hearing our cries that we want more than just a, a pastoral statement, and um, and he heard that. And I think that's a good thing too. That we need to also have a little patience. This is a new for a lot of these guys. And it's going to take some learning too. They want to do the right thing. It's just going to take some learning on how to do that. Right. 
Yeah. So does there need to be a cultural change? Uh, yeah. Does that happen in three days? No, it doesn't. Um, can good men do bad things and do they need to be held accountable for that? Yes, absolutely. Um, that's, you know, and uh, maybe something for, for me just to kind of wrap this up for myself. Like, guys, we're all part of the church and we're on the same team. Like, Father Harris and I, the other priests that we see on Twitter, um, your, your pastor, like, we're all on the same team. We all want this to be better. Uh, we all have to deal with this evil. It's something that's happened and that isn't going to unhappen. Um, things are better than they were 30 years ago. Praise God. Things still need to get better. Absolutely. It's okay that you're angry. It's okay that you're sad. Like we're all, like I said, I'm, I think my emotions change about this literally every couple hours or so. Uh, but we need to realize that we're all in this together and we're all part of this. Uh, and to treat each other with charity as we discuss things, as we work out our emotions, uh, and not to see everyone as an enemy or everyone as a scapegoat. It's more complicated than this. You know, that's part of the nature of evil is that it's scattered and, and there's a lot of reasons for it. It's not as unified and it's difficult to address. Um, but at the very least, we as Christians can keep each other in charity and keep each other in prayer. Yep. Be a saint. Yeah. Be a saint. Seriously, like those four tweets you kind of quoted at the beginning, mm -hmm. that's what it's all about in the end. We can all, there is one thing that we can all do, and that means submitting, repenting, and submitting ourselves mm -hmm. to God's will and to be a saint according to the way God wants us to be a saint. And some of us that just might be, be quiet in the church. You know, I might just, you might just be a quiet lay person who just goes to church, raises their family or whatever. Yeah. For some, that might mean larger scale things. But it's not about glory in this world. It's about glory, God's glory. And however we can help achieve that, uh, we do that by being a saint. And I think that's the best that we on the ground can do. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Let's all keep each other in prayer, especially in this in what is really a difficult time. I'm uh, Father Anthony Sharapa. And I'm Father Harrison Ayer, uh, at Father Harrison on Twitter. Oh, yeah, and I'm at Father Sharaba. Spell out all those words. And um, this has been Clerically Speaking, and we'll see you guys next week. And also, before we go, wow. you can find us You can find us at ClericalPod on Twitter. And uh, you can email us any questions you might have at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Peace. God bless you.